stuff going on in the news and a lot of um, uh, stuff is making people anxious and there's diesel fuel shortages and there's all sorts of stuff going on uh, in the world uh, politically um, and the economy's not doing great in America and <clears throat> there's all sorts of stuff uh, happening in the church and there's all sorts of departures from the faith going on. And while it was looking for a while, uh, back in the early 90s and then late 90s and early 2000s, looking like um, Reformed biblical Christianity was really uh, making a, a resurgence and really uh, doing well, there's a tremendous amount of apostasy. And uh, I will say, um, as, a, as a former minister in the PCA, um, that I, I did not think that it would be the LGBT stuff that would lead to the uh, the demise of that denomination. I really did not. I thought that issue is so plain and obvious and clear in scripture. There's no way that um, ministers of the gospel are going to be led astray on this, but I was definitely wrong on, on that one because it's been overrun and it's, uh, you know, they've exonerated Greg Johnson of everything and he, he continues to, to do his thing and push his, um, his heretical views on homosexuality and um he continues to push uncritically um that sexual orientation is a real thing and all that kind of stuff but i was thinking a lot i've been thinking a lot lately since i just did two reformation sermons and uh, i met with a, a dear brother here at church today and um they're uh, having a a pig roast uh this coming saturday uh, for the church did that last year it was great and um, asked me to, to just say a few things about the Reformation uh, in about, you know, 10 minutes or so. <laughs> like, okay, what can I get done in 10 minutes? Hmm. Um, so I'm going to preach on justification by faith alone this coming Sunday morning. I was actually working on a, a sermon on the next section of Luke uh, where Jesus is arrested and um, all that stuff <clears throat> in, in Luke's gospel. Wonderful. Um, it's wonderful to watch Jesus in action. Uh, just to share what, one thing that stuck out to me in that passage in Luke 22, uh, 63 through 71. Um, Jesus at one point is hit right in the face and, um, it says here, where's that, that text here, uh, where he is struck in the mouth or was it in one of the, one of the parallel passages? Um, yeah, they're hitting him, and they were striking him, and, uh, yeah, it's not in Luke, it's in one of, I'm sorry, it's in one of the uh, other Gospels where um, Jesus says, you know, call witnesses. I'm, at, at court proceedings, you're not supposed to, you know, testify against yourself, it's, why don't you ask others what, they, what I said? And one of the attendants there hits Jesus right in the face, and Jesus doesn't fire back. And, you know, reminded me of when Paul, when Paul was on trial and he answers the high priest um, in a very straightforward way and he gets hit in the mouth and Paul responds by saying, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now, Paul wasn't perfect. You know, Paul was sinful just like we are, but Jesus didn't respond to anything like that. And he, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Um, in fact, that passage in uh, Peter there where it says that, yeah, first Peter two twenty three and, and fall and uh, 22 and 23 who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. See that that's the standard right there. That's the example that we are supposed to follow. In fact, the uh, the passage before that, verse 21, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So when he was reviled, he didn't revile him in return. He didn't say, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. He didn't say anything like that. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, 
but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's the standard that we're called to. If we find ourselves in controversies in the church, we find ourselves in um, with stuff going on where there's attacks and things like that. Jesus set the example on how we are to handle that sort of thing. It's just, it's an amazing thing to go slowly through the gospels like this, to go slowly through Luke's gospel um, and see the way that Jesus dealt with everything. Cause we're told in first Peter, that is the, uh, that's the standard, you know, at this time of day, it doesn't seem to matter. I've got stuff strategically placed all over my desk to keep sunlight from hitting me in the eyes. See that little thing right there. Where's that coming from? Man, it doesn't matter. I have like all sorts of little pictures and stuff on my desk here. Okay. There, there it is. It's still there. Okay. Oh, well, anyway, so I've got a little, a little ray of light shining right on my face. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I cannot tell. Oh, wait, there it is. I see, I see where it's coming from. Okay, let me see if I can put a piece of paper right here. There, I think I got it. Okay, cool. So Jesus did not revile in return. He didn't, didn't fire back. But I love to watch him in action uh, because he's, he's awesome to watch. And the way that he handled everything and the things he said and the, the calm demeanor that he had uh, when he was on trial uh, for his life. Uh, here. It's just amazing uh, to watch. But I wanted to talk about the only hope for America. What what are we going to do? You know, what what's going on in, in our country today? And <clears throat> America is, by and large, an unregenerate country. It's an unregenerate nation. And probably the, the, the striking uh, majority, the striking majority uh, of uh, professing Christians in America today uh, don't know what the gospel is. You know, most of the church is liberal today. Um, I think a lot of what's left in the, the uh, smaller Presbyterian and Reformed denominations has gone liberal. I don't know as much about the other denominations. I, I know that there's there's woke stuff coming into the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a very large denomination that's historically been conservative. Uh, but you don't have... Um, the, the uh, pockets of biblical reform theology, believing in the sovereignty of God, unconditional electing grace, justification by faith alone, all that stuff goes together. Uh, all of the Reformation solas go together. In fact, I've been having this idea lately, and it keeps, it keeps coming into my mind, so maybe it's something that the Lord wants me to act on. I, th- I keep thinking it'd be great to do an annual conference just called the solas, the solas conference, because that would, that would give us a platform to respond to the latest denials of the various solace because they're always being denied um, at some point by somebody in the church. And we know from scripture that the denials that are the most dangerous in the, uh, to the Christian church come from inside the church. Uh, Paul speaks about the false brethren in Galatians chapter two uh, in Acts chapter 20 with the Ephesian elders. Paul said, know this after my departure, savage, Wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and they will rise up. Men from, from in your midst will rise up and speak perverse things. You know, I just did a, 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 an interview with uh, Matthew Rosenblum and Oneg Sayadian uh, from Back to the Reformation, and they just wanted me to talk about Doug Wilson, so I pulled out my, my Doug Wilson notes and um, read through that stuff and <clears throat> was just... It's discouraging to, to think that um, there are people who, who still still think that he's reformed and that he uh, believes the true gospel. He's not reformed and he doesn't believe the true gospel. And affirming the words of orthodoxy is something that heretics have always done. They've always been willing to do that. They've never shied away from uh, affirming the words of orthodoxy. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the things one of the many things I wanted to say in that interview that we didn't have time to get to everything, but. Um, when the first Nicene Council happened, uh, there was a great deal of frustration on the part of the Orthodox, of the Christians that were there that defended the deity of Christ. Um, there, were, there was a lot of frustration because um, the Arians kept, kept saying that they, would, they believed what Scripture said. The Orthodox would quote Scripture, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they would say, yeah, we believe that. Yeah, we believe that. But they knew they didn't. And so they kept, they kept trying to figure out, you know, how, how are we going to force these guys, you know, out of the, 
out of the woodwork here into the open. And so from what I have read um, in different church history books, they don't know for sure who suggested it, but someone said, see if they'll, if they'll affirm that Jesus Christ is homoousios as the Father, that he is the same substance as God the Father. And when they did that, the Arians backed away and would not affirm it. My point in sharing that is, false teachers and heretics have always been willing to quote scripture, read scripture, and say, yeah, we believe that, yeah, we believe that, even when you know they're redefining all the key terms and everything else. But that's what what Doug Wilson's done for a long, long, long time. He'll sit there and read uh, from the Westminster Standards and, and say all the right things in all the right ways. But you know from looking at other statements that he's made in other contexts that he does not mean the same thing that those confessions are talking about. And so that's one thing that drives me nuts. I just, I just wish that if people don't believe uh, certain things, that they would just come right out and say it. With the, I don't believe this confession. I don't believe this stuff. Um, to my brother here, uh, who's asking for a link to that interview, I'm trying to find it while I'm talking about this other stuff, and I will post it in the uh, in the chat over here so you can see a link to it. Um, but yeah, I love uh, Matthew Rosenblum and Onyx Siadium. I also did a podcast with them uh, a while back on Piper. So I got to talk about my, my least favorite things with those guys. <laughs> like, I, I would love to never hear either name again, Doug Wilson or John Piper, ever again. I would love to just, like, push a button. You will never hear those names again or have to respond to that kind of stuff again. But, you know, we have to do that because it's the uh, gospel's at stake and we need to um, defend it at all costs, no matter what, um, no matter how many people are getting it wrong. Why can't I find this interview? Um, it's actually in iTunes. Back to the Reformation is actually um, a podcast that you can get to in iTunes. So let me see if I can find it here. But the only hope for America is the true gospel. And it really seems to me that's the one thing that Reformed churches and churches in general are really avoiding. Or when they, when they do talk about it, they're getting it wrong. Um, or they're promoting others that get it wrong. And I just think, you know, the gospel is the beating heart of a Christian faith. It is the article, the doctrine of justification is the article upon which the Christian church stands or falls. And, uh, okay, I found, I found it, I think I found it here. Um, it's the doctrinal article upon which the Christian church stands or falls. And if we don't, understand that, if we don't get that point, um, then we're not going to be of any use to anybody. There it is. All right. Let me see if I can post this in here. Uh, it's actually going to start playing it. Maybe if I, if I do that, whoops. Okay. Can I share this to, with you guys in here? Where is it? Why is this making this so hard? Okay. Anyway, I will, I will try to get this, uh, over there to you guys, uh, here in a moment. Um, copy link. There we go. Okay. Let me put it over here in the chat channel. But the, the only hope of our culture, of our, our dying culture, um, is the one true gospel. And if we don't understand that, if the church doesn't get that, then we're going to be in big trouble. We're going to be in big trouble and, uh, we don't have any life changing power, uh, to offer this culture. But that's why I think it'd be great to do a, a soulless conference because there's a big, huge conference center down right downtown Kingsport. I mean, it's huge and we could, you could get a ton of people in there and I would love to see us do that. An annual solas conference on the solas of the reformation. Just do it every year from now until Jesus comes back and do it for free. I would love to, to see it happen that you don't have to register or anything. You just show up, just come and, uh, we'll have a, a, a few talks, um, and maybe get some good speakers in there. I would love to do at least one one of the talks myself because this, this is something I'm very, very passionate about. But I want to talk about that. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for our dying culture today. It's the only thing that we've got. And at the end of the day, if we don't get this right, then we can you know, do all the chest thumping and bravado and smash beer cans on our foreheads and do conferences about whatever we want. Um, but if we're not getting the gospel right, if we're, if we're becoming political but aren't getting the gospel right, then I simply would ask, what good are we really doing then? What good are we really doing then? I would submit to you, not much at all. Okay, now I want to look at Galatians. This is what I want to do today. I just want to start 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. I just want to walk through some of this book. I probably obviously won't get through all of it. But the only hope for America is not getting the right people in office, although I, you know, I think that if there's a decent option that Christians should vote, um, that, that's something we should participate in. Um, but that's not going to turn this country around. The problem with America, the reason that you have the rise of big government and you have government interference in everything in education um, and them sticking their hands in everything, everything that the government touches, they break. Everything. They, everything they do, um, they break. No, theonomy is not the answer because theonomy is not the gospel. Do I believe that the, the law of God uh, should be applied to every sphere? Of course. All four spheres, self, uh, self, family, church, and state are all, all four of those spheres of government are created by God. Each one of them has their own task and all four are answerable to the law of God. All four of them. The magistrate is under the law of God. But the magistrate and the people who elect the magistrates in this country are not going to put biblical laws in place until they're converted. So we can do conferences all you want on sewer referendums and theonomy and what the magistrate ought to be doing, but why would we want to sit around talking about that all the time while the world around us is going to hell in a handbasket? We need to be getting the gospel out there. We need to be passing out tracts, trying to talk to people. We need to be engaging people with the gospel. Okay, that's that's the only hope that people have got. And if we don't do that, if we don't get that out there and get and make it clear that justification is a one-time punctiliar act, yes, indeed, tied up with a bow. Once you believe the gospel, once you put your faith in Christ alone, you're justified. You can never be unjustified. Uh, you're good to go. You're going to heaven. Um, once you repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are not antinomians because God changes the heart and dethrones the power of sin. Those are truths. What I just said, um, I think most professing Christians do, do not understand. So listen to the word of God here. This is Paul um, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And right out of the gate there, why would he say that? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. Why, why is he saying that? Because the main argument he's going to make in this book of Galatians is that the source of his gospel was not Peter, John, James, or any of the other apostles. Paul learned the gospel that were justified by faith apart from works, i.e. faith alone. He learned that from Jesus Christ through the apocalyptitai to Jesus Christu, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught Paul the gospel. So he's an apostle called directly by Christ there on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He did not meet with the other apostles. He didn't meet or confer with them. He went out immediately and started preaching the gospel that Christ himself taught him. So Paul's an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he would deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a very clear statement of limited atonement. He gave us himself for our sins that he would deliver us from this present evil age. If he gave himself for your sins, you are going to be delivered from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Right there. Every, every individual for whom he gave himself um, is delivered from this present evil age. And then verse 6, the sixth verse of the book, he immediately, I mean, he doesn't say, hello to so-and-so, we've heard about your great faith, we've heard about this, and your faith being reported throughout the whole world, we, we, see, we don't cease to pray for you day and night. He immediately launches into him and says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You've, you've abandoned Christ for a different gospel. Okay? Thalmazo. I marvel that so quickly you are you are turning from the one who called you in the grace of Christ to a heteron, different, another euangelion, another gospel. Okay? Heteron. A heteron euangelion, a different gospel, another gospel. You guys are turning away from the gospel I gave you to a different one. 
And what about this different gospel? He says, which is really not another. There, there are no other gospels. You can wor- use the word gospel all you want. But if it's not the biblical gospel, it's just another gospel, which is really not another. Because there's only one gospel that can save. And that gospel is justification by faith alone. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ or, or pervert the uh, gospel of Christ. Metastrepho is the term there. Metastrepsi. Is the, the, it's an infinitive aorist active there. They want to change the gospel of Christ. There are people troubling you, trying to change it. Okay? And has that ceased? As the centuries have gone by, it's like, well, someone did that in Paul's lifetime, but thankfully no one's ever done that since. No. It happens in every generation, and they rise up from inside the church to try to do this. And how do we know that they're wrong? We have to know these books of the Bible. We have to know Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and John's Gospel and Isaiah, Ezekiel, Moses. We've got to become Bible readers again. And then he, he gives this, this double curse, verses 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven... I want you to think about that for a moment. Paul's saying here, if I come back, if I tell you something different, or if, if an angel from heaven, if Gabriel... That told Mary and Joseph about what was going to happen with the birth of Christ. If he comes back and tells you. If, if, if an apostle or an angel comes and tells you something different than what we preached to you originally. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Anathema esto. Let him be anathema. What does anathema mean? It means cursed. It means that which is cursed. So this is fairly serious stuff. Paul's saying, if I come back, an angel comes to you, if anyone, if we or anyone else tell you anything other than what we first preached to you, may that person be damned. Yikes. You know, um, that's pretty serious. But then he makes it even more emphatic. Verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say, again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be damned. Let him be accursed. Okay, so hopefully he's grabbed everyone's attention by what he said here. There's only one gospel that can save. The word, the word gospel doesn't really mean much unless you define it biblically. Now what's he going to go on in this book to describe? He's going to describe a defection from the doctrine of justification by belief in Christ alone. That's what he's going to describe. Getting that wrong is a different gospel. I've had people tell me um, before, you know, justification is not is not the gospel. I'm like Paul thought it was. <laughs> uh, Paul thought it was, and I uh, I tend to agree with him. I tend to agree with him. Yeah, but you can argue with him if you want to, but you know, he's an apostle and was an author of inspired scripture, um, so you're going to lose that that argument. But Paul thought that the gospel was justification by faith apart from works. And then he says, "For am I now seeking?" To, to please men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Why is this, why is the true gospel so displeasing to men? Because it attacks man's pride. It says you cannot contribute anything to getting into heaven. You can't contribute anything whatsoever to that. You receive and rest upon Christ alone. You believe that Jesus' righteousness is going to get you into heaven. You believe that Jesus' cross is the full payment for all your sins and that there is nothing to be added to that as the basis upon which you will enter heaven itself. That's what a Christian believes. That's what it is to have faith in Christ. He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. <laughs> it's not according to man. It's not kata anthropon. It's not according to man. That's exactly right. It's not. Because man wants to believe that he's doing something, at least a little something, to get himself into heaven. And how is that being taught today? How, how are people denying that today? Well, yeah, we believe in justification by faith alone. Faith is 
faithfulness. No, it's not. Faith has nothing to do with my righteousness or my obedience. Faith looks away from self to Christ alone and lays hold of him alone. How are we to have that righteousness by which alone we can enter heaven? Christ's righteousness, it is by faith, it is by laying hold of Jesus, it is by believing that Christ died for us and that his righteousness is ours and trusting in that righteousness. I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, Apocalypseos Jesu Christu, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, didn't meet with Peter, didn't meet with anyone else among the apostles. I got my message that I preached to you from Jesus. Jesus Christ revealed it to Paul. That's why he starts the epistle, opening verse, Paul, an apostle, not from man, not through man, not from man, but through Jesus Christ. Because he's defending the supernatural divine origin of the gospel that were justified by faith alone. And that definitely is not according to man. That is not according to man. Man is not going to come up with something like that. I mean, all of man's religions are the same. At the end of the day, if you boil them down in a Bunsen burner over the weekend, what's left? You save yourself by being good. If you boil the federal vision down over the weekend, what is it? Same thing. You save yourself by being good. If you boil Piper's position down over the weekend, what is it? You save yourself by your good works. In fact, I have to wonder if those guys actually ever do talk to people about the gospel because what they believe and what they say is the gospel is what the natural man believes anyway. (laughs) I mean, unregenerate God-haters already think things like that. Yeah, I'm sure we could all use some help from God, but in the end, it's our good works and you know, hopefully, hopefully the good outweighs the bad. This whole idea, initial justification by faith alone, and then final salvation by fruit or whatever. That's what the natural man believes already. The people you talk to at the flea market or downtown Kingsport, they already think that. I remember reading Rich Lusk, uh, quotations from Rich Lusk about justification. And I just kept chuckling going, this is what pagans already believe. That God is soft in his judgment and he evaluates our good works uh, in the same way that a new husband would evaluate the dinner of his dearest wife. We're not talking about a husband evaluating the dinner his wife made for him. We're talking about the holy God of the universe. The God who, when he drew near to people, they thought they were going to die. I've always wondered, what was that experience like? What was that experience like for Samson's parents, for Manoah and his wife, when they, they thought they were going to die? When Jacob realized he had been angel, or, angeling, wrestling with an angel, and he was shocked that he survived it. When Peter is on the boat and is told by Jesus, go out and throw out the nets again. And he pulls in the nets, and they're so full of fish, it, you know, he, he was scared. He came and he told Jesus, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. When Jesus calmed the storm, it says they were terrified. Terrified. Revelation 117, when John saw Jesus, what does he do? He falls down on the ground like he's a dead man. Isaiah, when he has the vision of Jesus there in, in Isaiah chapter 6, as alluded to in John chapter 12, when he saw the glory of Christ there in the throne room, uh, what does he say? Woe is me. The prophets normally pronounce judgment upon the people of Israel or the people of Judah, here's God's covenant case against you. You're breaking all his commandments and woe is you unless you repent. But in that case, after he sees this vision, Isaiah, the righteous, godly prophet pronounces woe upon himself. Woe is me for I am undone and my eyes have seen the Holy One and I'm a man of unclean lips. Okay. That's why justification has to be by faith alone because Only Christ's righteousness has the merit necessary to save us. Only his righteousness, his personal righteousness can meet the requirement of God. And nothing I do or you do can contribute to that or get us into heaven. Nothing we do can. He says, I was not taught this from man, nor I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in Galatians 1.13, For you have heard of my former conduct, uh, my former 
conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Now, why is he saying that? He's pointing out, I immediately went out and started preaching. I didn't go meet with Peter or James or John or any of the other apostles. I went out and preached immediately because Jesus taught me the gospel. And what's the gospel to Paul? Justification by faith alone. God justifies the believing sinner completely apart from their works. And God's call to the world is to abandon trusting in your works and to trust solely and only in Christ, in his finished work. And we trust in his finished work the moment we're converted. We trust in his finished work to get us into heaven our entire Christian life. And we trust in his finished work if we're cognizant and mentally all there as we're dying. At no point do we think, okay, well, my fruit is going to finally save me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Paul says, Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved in the future. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Having now been justified by his blood, the wrath's gone. We will be saved when Christ comes back from the wrath of God. Because Christ's righteousness is on our account. So Paul did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So for three years after his encounter with Christ, Jesus calls Paul to be an apostle. Jesus taught Paul sola fide. They were justified by faith apart from works. Apart from works. Apart from works. Not by works. Jesus taught Paul that. And that's why he says, the gospel that I preached is not according to man. I did not receive it. I was not taught it by flesh and blood. I was taught it by a revelation, Jesus Christ. And he went out and preached it for three years. And then came up to Jerusalem and met with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. But I, did, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy. Isn't that glorious? Ah, getting that afternoon coffee. And they were glorifying God in me. So Paul's testimony, it was pretty remarkable. It really was. And it, took, it even took the apostles because of Paul's reputation for being, or Saul of Tarsus' reputation for being such a violent, um, gospel-hating, Christian-hating man. Remember, it was, it was Saul of Tarsus who stood by approvingly at the, the martyrdom of Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7 there. And then in, by Acts 9, Paul's on his way, Saul of Tarsus is on his way to, uh, to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, when Jesus converts him and blinds him. And then uh, Jesus sent Ananias to go baptize Paul. And Paul immediately goes out and starts preaching the gospel. And, you know, when I took, uh, when I took uh, Greek exegesis in seminary, we translated the whole book of Galatians. And I remember th giving this a lot of thought, thinking, you know, um, it's almost like uh, it was a matrix like, like the movie from the movie The Matrix, a download of information, I mean, in all seriousness, directly into Paul's brain from Jesus Christ. Because he, he's so emphatic here. I didn't learn this from Peter or John. I, I was out preaching it for three years before I ever even met them. And what's his point? What I'm telling you is what I learned from Jesus Christ. So you better listen. This is the, as pure as the fountain of gospel truth can possibly be. And what does Paul emphasize in Galatians? Justifications by faith, by believing in Jesus, by believing he died for you, by believing his righteousness is yours, completely and totally and always apart from our works. Good works are the fruit and evidence 
that regeneration has taken place and that we're new creatures in Christ. But good works, they are fruit and evidence, and they are never, ever, in any way, contributing to our salvation at the last day. Good works are the fruit and evidence of a lively faith. Faith. They are that by which we manifest our thankfulness to God. We adorn our profession of faith in Christ by our good works. Are we saved by our good works? No. Are we finally welcomed into heaven in accordance with works? No. When you talk about getting into heaven, when you talk about salvation from the judgment of God, that is secured by the blood and righteousness of Christ alone from first to last. That's what Romans 1.17 is talking about. In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's by faith at the beginning and by faith at the end and every step in between. By believing in Christ, because it's Christ from beginning to end. It's the righteousness of God that is imputed to us from beginning to end. That's what we trust in. Nothing else, nothing alongside of it, nothing in addition to it. Nothing wrought in us or done by us. It's Christ alone. Verse 1 of chapter 2 of Galatians. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, (laughs) meaning the, the same gospel I taught you, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Okay, important verse. The first thing that's very important to notice here is that there is such a thing as false brethren. Pseud Adelphus. Pseud Adelphus. False brethren. False brethren. What are, what are false brethren? People who deny the gospel. <laughs> People who say that justification is by faith alone. And faith means faithfulness. Or, yeah, we trust in Jesus because our works aren't sufficient. And we believe in the obedience of faith. Or they define faith in some way to, to weasel in our works in some way. Those are false brethren. Those are false brethren. They came in to do what? To spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they would bring us into bondage. What does that mean? They they came to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ to bring us into bondage to their false gospel of works righteousness. Now, okay, do any of these false brethren call their teaching a false gospel of works righteousness? Oh, we don't believe in works righteousness. Uh, Our works are never sufficient in any way, shape, or form. And we're justified by faith completely and totally apart from our works. Okay, well, what do you mean by faith? Works. (laughs) That's seriously the kind of teaching you get. People speak out of both sides of their mouth like that, and you got to listen carefully to the way they define their terms. That is a form of this very thing. That's false brethren who come in to spy out our liberty to bring us into bondage to these false systems. Final salvation by fruit. Justification by faithfulness. Or whatever. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. So that the truth of the gospel would continue with you. Now I want to make a little application here of uh, Galatians 2.5. To whom we did not yield submission even for one hour. You know, when it takes years and years and years to deal with simple heresy... Simple false teaching like the Federal Vision stuff. You're kind of yielding subjection, yielding submission um, to people for years and years. You know, uh, hupatage is the term that's used there. You're not supposed to yield subjection to people like this, even for an hour. So if the the uh, tools are not in place to deal in a timely fashion with simple error then something's wrong with our denominations. You know, I think all, all the, the uh, side B, gay, gay orientation, gay identity stuff started in the PCA. I mean, the first video I saw where they were just openly talking like this was Scott Sauls and Stephen Moss 
that was April of 2015. Okay, seven years have come and gone now. Now, I, I would say error on that level that that's um, that destroys the Christian faith. If, if we if we're not sure if that's a sin anymore, okay, we don't have the Christian faith anymore. Then we're not supposed to yield submission to people that teach gross error about what sin is, about the gospel, about the doctrine of God, even for an hour. Don't yield submission to them even for one hour. I guess I would ask those that are still in reformed denominations that that allow these heretical teachings, why are you yielding submission for years and years and years to people like this? Why are you still doing that? Would be my question. I don't get it. We didn't yield submission to them even for an hour. We we didn't hold allow them to identify themselves as our brothers for even an hour. But now you have, it goes on for months and years and people get away with this stuff. And I just say, that's crazy. We didn't yield submission to them even for an hour so the truth of the gospel would continue with you. Verse 6, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Do you hear what he's saying? The, the authority is in the gospel, not in the apostles. And that's another another thing that's really important. Uh, people so often talk about apostolic succession, and then the, the, there, there were no successors to the apostles that we know of in Scripture. We, there, we don't read about any uh, successors to them at all. But apostolic succession, we can trace our ordinations all the way back to the apostles themselves. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> if they don't teach what the apostles taught, what difference does it make? So I don't care. Let's say you could pull that off. Let's say you could show the guy that ordained our priest or our bishop. We can we can literally show you all the way back to one of the apostles that that individual was ordained by one of them. I could care less about that. I don't care about that. What I want to know is, do they teach what the apostles taught? And where do we know what the apostles taught? What is the only source of what the apostles taught that we have? The New Testament. Okay? So Paul is saying... Whoever they were, I don't care if they're other apostles or whoever, they didn't add anything to me. It makes no difference to me who they were. God shows favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, Paul was primarily a missionary to the Gentile nations, Peter primarily to the Jewish people. It simply says, they gave to me, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, that's James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What's his point here? There is no disagreement between me and the other apostles on this issue. Now, he emphasizes at the start there. That I got this from Christ directly, not from the other apostles. But the apostles agree with this message because it's the gospel. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. In other words, we didn't have any disagreements or any kind of differences on the gospel. We agreed. Justifications by faith alone. The sinner is declared righteous, forgiven, accepted, adopted into God's family. Uh, declared righteous by the imputation of Christ's righteousness, that we are accounted as righteous by belief alone and Christ alone, by, by assenting to that great truth, Christ died for our sins, his righteousness is imputed to us. That's the basis upon which we are right with God, and that's the sole basis upon which we're right with God. Now, when Peter had... Okay, hang on a second. I, I noticed uh, there's Jesse Carden. Hey, man. Piper was at the Puritan Conference... Yeah. Okay. One, here's another argument. We got to do this. We, we like. I need to figure out a way to do this. We got to have a sola, a solas conference, and we got to promote it all over the internet somehow. And I want it to be free. I want it to be free. Anyone that wants to come, I mean, they have to travel to this to um, Kingsport. But hey, this is a beautiful part of the country. I mean, we're in the Appalachian Mountains. It's gloriously beautiful here, and. We got to do that. We got to find a way to do a sola, a solas conference, and get some decent speakers. Um, I know the men in my my little denomination, Christ Reformed Presbyterian Church, would all be in favor of that. Maybe I'll pitch that. We're, we're meeting um, next week. I'd like to to throw that out there and just get their blessing on it. 
Um, Piper was at the Puritan Conference. Uh, was he representing Richard Baxter in his position or something? <laughs> so, anyway. <sighs> okay. Now, when Peter... Okay, here's, here's where the book gets interesting. Galatians gets interesting. It's already very interesting, obviously. But here's where he, he kind of brings up the issue. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Because he was to be blamed. Because he was wrong. Now, what happened? For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Wow. So there were people that came from James, and then Peter withdrew from eating with Gentiles. Because, like, well, you know, these guys are, they're, they're not, um, they're not ceremonially clean, so we can't eat with them, even though they're, they're Christians. And Paul says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Why was it so serious? Peter's an apostle. He's an apostle. And the fact is, Peter had eaten with Gentiles. Peter was the one who got the vision um, of the sheet coming down uh, that helped him understand Cornelius, the Roman centurion. Remember in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11? Peter understood that, that Gentiles receive have been granted repentance unto life just like us and they're justified before god just like us and they receive the holy spirit just like we did peter understood that but he got a little squeamish and he he decided when these guys that were didn't like that when they came from james he withdrew from table fellowship with the gentiles verse 13 and the rest of the jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy Okay, so that's a big deal. And Paul's understanding of this, I mean, he says in verse 14, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as, as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Now, let me translate that a little bit. Peter, I've seen you eat a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich before. So why are you acting like we're not allowed to do that now? And why are you acting like these Gentiles have to live like Jews now that they're Christians? And he goes on, verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, is sarcasm there. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we would be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Okay, so what is he saying here? A man, a, the, a man's person is not justified, is not declared righteous by works of the law, by keeping ceremonial laws, by withdrawing from Gentiles, by not eating certain things, uh, or by keeping the Ten Commandments, by any laws whatsoever. We are not justified by the works of the law, whether it's moral, ceremonial, dietary, whatever, but, but rather... By faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we would be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Okay, in other words, the law of God, the law of God slays all of us by its requirements, because we can't, we can't keep them. The law shows us our sin, so that we can live to God. And then Paul's summary there at the end of Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay? And then he says in verse 21, we'll, we'll stop here because i got other things i got to get done. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If my works get me into heaven in some way. And Christ died for nothing. Christ died for nothing. He says, I don't nullify the grace of God by allowing people to 
add things to faith in Christ as the means of justification before God. There are no other instrumental causes of our justification. Faith lays hold of Christ and lays hold only of Christ and always lays hold only of Christ. If righteousness, that term dikaiosune, you can translate it as justification. If justification comes through the law, through our fruit, our works, our obedience, our faithfulness, Christ died in vain. Then Christ died in vain. So don't nullify the grace of God by allowing people to add anything to it. And I'd like to pick up there next time. Uh, Maybe I'll do a regular old podcast and not wait for a live program. I've just been so busy lately. I would like to do a little more podcasting, but uh, it's just been so busy lately. But I think that's a good place to stop. Um, But that's the only hope for America is the gospel. And it's, it's the one thing the church really seems to be messing up and missing. And then, and those of us that have stood up and said, Hey, this stuff's what's being said today is just wrong about the gospel. You know, we're decapitated for saying it and attacked viciously for daring to say that false gospels are still false gospels. So I just would encourage my uh, very few listeners and people that tune in or listen on sermon audio to the stuff our church does. Pray for America, pray for revival, and pray that the gospel, the true gospel, that we're justified by faith alone and not by our good works and not by anything we do, that that message that Jesus Christ taught Paul, which he preached, that that would be heard again. Because if it's not, this nation is doomed. Thank you for watching or listening. This is Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.